Paraverse Live is sponsored by Visage Paranormal. The team at Visage Paranormal offers ghost hunting events around Yorkshire and the Midlands with the possibility of going further afield in the future. When you attend one of their events, you will come as strangers and leave as friends. You will never be forced to do anything you don't want to do, and they can always accommodate anyone. You will have the chance to use some of the latest gadgets during the night, or go old school and use your own senses. They welcome anyone over the age of 18, whether you're a skeptic or a believer. No gimmicks, no fakery, no BS. Viewers and listeners of the show can also get an exclusive 10% discount. Just use code PARAVERSE at the checkout. Visit their website at www.visageparanormal.co.uk and get yourself on one of their upcoming events. Hello. Hey Luke, how's it going? Okay. I, I need, I, seriously, I need to get you to record that intro for me because I can't stand listening to my voice every week. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> Just sitting there going, oh, that sounds horrible. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so who we got? We've got Chris. They're having a chat amongst themselves. I can see you this week, Chris. I can see your name. We've got Luna. There she is. That's B. Sorry, wrong one. There she is. Mm-hmm. So we realised that obviously as most of our the people that listen to this show, we get more people listening than we do watching, that none of you know who we are. Like when you're watching, you can see our name on the screen, but when you're listening, we don't have that. So we just thought we'd like we're gonna start actually introducing ourselves every week. So I'm Nate Lockley. That is Stu Lander. There we go. We got there. We'll get is better it? at it. We'll get better at it. <laughs> and this is Paraverse, where we discuss paranormal UFOs, cryptids, anything strange and unusual, like most of the people I know. We could discuss half of them. To be fair, they're a bit weird. Um, and Stu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, and we we're going to start doing. Um, a kind of a news of the week. Any UFO sightings, any new paranormal evidence that's come out this week. And we decided this about three hours ago, so we haven't had time to find anything from this week. But we did we did realise we haven't talked about the quote big news in the UFO world of the Calvine UFO photo. So... This was a, a, a photo that apparently existed, but no one really had ever actually seen it. Um, it was taken, I think, in 1990, and then immediately covered up by the MOD. Um, many of you have probably heard Nick Pope talking about it. He's mentioned it on a few documentaries and stuff that he apparently... Sorry, if you can hear any weird noises, my dog's attacking the sofa over there. Um yeah, we've um, Nick Pope apparently said that in the MOD in his office they had this big reconstructed version of this this sighting, this photo on the wall. And when he left, the photo went down and no one ever saw it. So lots of people were kind of, did this photo even exist? Everyone bigging it up has been the, apparently the, the clearest, best photo of a UFO ever captured. And then random, I think, was it last year, year before, it was up to be disclosed 
and the U the UK government uh, classified it for another fifty years. So we all just assume we're never going to see this photo. And then randomly, about a month ago, it just came out. Someone had it and went, you go, and just released the photo. So uh, I'll give you a quick description of what the what the all about the case and what the photo is, and then I'll I'll stick it up. And obviously, for anyone listening, I'll put the photo on the uh, the Instagram if you haven't seen it, or just search uh, the Calvine photo and you'll find it. Um, so the Calvine photo, which is said to be the world's clearest UFO photo, has finally been released 30 years after it was taken by two hikers in the Scottish Highlands. The image claimed to be of an unidentified flying object was snapped on 4th of August 1990 and was handed over to Scotland's Daily Record newspaper. And the the photo and the um, the negatives were all handed over and were then handed to the Ministry of Defence and then never seen again. Um, the, in the image is apparently a black and white image um, of a diamond-shaped object which can be seen in the sky, which is said to be a UFO. Um, it was... Let me see if I can find who it was that released it now. Uh, it was found after years of research by academic and journalist Dr David Clark. Um, lots of people have said that this photo is amazing. There's obviously a few that come out and go, it's fake. But a few people have even said it could easily be a tiny little rock and its reflection in some water. So I'll, I'll let you all have a look and decide for yourself what you think it is. So that's apparently the, the clearest and best photo of a UFO ever. Apparently. What's your thoughts, Stu? What do you think? I mean, I definitely would like to believe that it's a real photo. And there's nothing to sort of suggest that it, it is the rock. I've heard that theory as well, but it looks very much in the sky rather than there's no shoreline or anything like that. So to me, it looks, yeah, like there's something in the sky. Now, whether it's. Yeah, I think the, the plane underneath it, so underneath it, what looks like underneath yeah. it in the picture, it'd have to be flying upside down for that to be its reflection. Yeah. But yeah, I exactly. think. I think to prove that definitively, I'd have to know exactly where the photo was taken and yep. go and try to recreate it without the the little rock or without the UFO in it, just to be able to frame it properly to know exactly what it is or isn't. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's definitely very interesting, and I'm, I'm very, very glad that the photo was released. It wasn't declassified. It's still apparently classified. And if I remember rightly, the six more photos... They took seven, and that one was kind of, I think the guy made a copy of it and kind of hid it away. Apparently but, so. Um, Apparently he uh, waited 30 years, and he had it just waiting for somebody to show up and ask for it. Yeah. He had absolutely every intention to sort of make it public if anybody ever asked, and it took 30 years for somebody to do so. Because <laughs> no one knew he had it. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. let me just, so the dog is going to get it. <laughs> A massive, heavy UFO books in front of it. That'll stop him. <clears throat> so let's have a quick look through the comments, and then we'll get the uh, the guest on. Indeed. Um, I'm assuming Chris is going to be raging about people saying that it was uh, 
There we go. That's not a reflection. <laughs> Luna said it looks like a crocodile in the water. Mm-hmm. Chris, there's no lake there. It's not again. I'd like to. I'd have to go down myself and see it to know because that that's just what the what I'd prefer to do. The sort of person I am. Anyone that says I've seen this, about like, okay, where? Show me, and I'm going to yeah. help rule out anything that it could be. Yeah, there's also um, the possibility that it's unknown military uh, yeah. aircraft as well. There's always like yeah. kind of something that we don't. Of, know. I can't remember the name of it now. There's like Project Aurora. something, but it was yeah, some like, yeah something that the Americans were testing in the nineties. So there's always the chance that that's what it is. But um, but yeah, anyone listening back, we'll uh, put the picture on the Instagram. Comment, drop a comment on it. Let us know what you think it is. If you think it's a UFO, if you think it's top secret tech, if you think it's a rock. Yeah. If you if you're sitting there raging like Chris is right now that we even <laughs> said yeah. it could be a rock, let us know. Just don't give us too much hate on the Instagram. I'll just take the picture down. <laughs> I can. It's my Instagram. Do what I like. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, from now on, next week. Or starting from next week, me and Sue, we're going to get something, either a UFO photo or a piece of paranormal evidence each, and try to convince each other that it's that it's re- the real deal, which is going to be difficult, because if Stu gets a UFO photo, I'm generally going to be, mm, I'm really sceptical of UFO pictures, and anything paranormal, Stu's going to be like, no, it's rubbish. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> so it's literally just going to be us two going, that's crap, I like it. There you go. Well, so, this is grassed you up. Good luck convincing Stu if it's paranormal. Yeah, see? <laughs> Speaking of convincing Stu of paranormal, I think it's time yeah. to get the guest on. Indeed. So uh, this week we're joined by Mike Koval. Let me get him on. There he is. It worked. Evening. Evening. You're all right. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. I think uh, I remember. I think I watched a couple of your little live stream things that you've done on Facebook, and so many questions. I couldn't talk fast <laughs> enough. I thought I'll get him on, and then he's got to listen to my questions. There's no one else here. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, first question. Same question we ask most people. What got you interested in the paranormal? So when I was eight, many, many, many moons ago, I saw a floating egg, which was bright white, and it had uh, lights flashing on it, and it just hovered silently in the sky. Um, I didn't feel scared or anything like that, and I remember going to bed and the next morning rushing downstairs and saying to my dad, you'll never guess what I've seen. And my dad just said, stop there. And he, he ran upstairs and he brought down this uh, an old part works called Unexplained magazine. I don't know if you remember it. It was out in like the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I've heard and he of gave it. Me the first, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gave me the first volume and just said, read that. And there was a couple of chapters in it and it was quite open-ended and there was like a flow chart. Out, you know, is it a UFO or is it a weather mm-hmm. balloon or an helicopter? And what I liked about that was he never said to me, I think it's a UFO mm-hmm. or I think it's an helicopter. It gave me the tools yeah. I needed to go away and research it. And I was just obsessed. Yeah. I read this book cover to cover. It had stuff in like unsolved murders, uh, historical mysteries, UFOs, ghosts. 
sea monsters, all that kind of stuff. And that was it. That was the, the, the spark that ignited it. And then throughout the years, my dad and I, it would, at Christmas time, instead of saying to me, would you like a BMX or would you like a skateboard or would you like a, a Mega Drive or a Master mm-hmm. System? It said to me, would you like the latest UFO books and, and other, you know, UFO videos? And so I, I gathered together a massive collection of uh, research stuff. My dad used to cut out newspaper clippings, um, all sorts. And we just, together, we just created this mass of paranormal literature, um, audio, visual, you name it. And then uh, 16 years ago, um, a week after my little girl was born, she's a big girl now, I was diagnosed with a critical heart condition. I was working full time. Uh, I was running a shop um, and I had to give up my job. And at the time, my, my doctor said to me, get a hobby, something that will occupy your mind. So I went back to sort of the paranormal and history and all that kind of stuff. And I started researching and writing. And the idea was to publish one book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one book became two, two became four. I ended up publishing 32 books. Um, I got the all clear to go back to work. Uh, technically, I've still got an art condition, so I couldn't mm-hmm. get employment. So I set up my own company, Amazing Old Tours. Um, at that point, I got it was really weird. I signed the rights to four books to get turned into films in Hollywood. And then I got a publisher. So it was all, everything was done backwards. Yeah. Um, and then television companies get started getting in touch, media companies and stuff like that. Um, and I ended up working on a lot of TV shows, um, advising on the history mm-hmm. and appearing as kind of a talking head. Um, but I worked with some of, some of the people I'd always looked up to and watched on TV. I ended up working with them and got to see how things are done, um, you know, on set mm-hmm. in these paranormal programs and stuff like that. And then I started lecturing, travelled all over the country lecturing. Um, and today I sort of, I write, I research, I teach, I lecture, I offer tours and stuff like that. Um, and it's a full-time, it's a full-time thing at the minute. Oh, that's pretty cool. So so you had to stop working in the shop because it was too much. And now you do all of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's weird. Uh, yeah. But I mean, if you do something you love, it don't feel like work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, every, every day, I mean, at the minute I'm working on a... a a true crime case. Um, so every day I'm going through stuff and it's, I'm uncovering new stuff all the time. It's fascinating that no one's yeah. seen this for like 70 or 80 odd years. Um, I'm working through all that. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. What, um, what case are you working on or you're not able to say? Um, it's about a, a young boy from Hull um, who joined the army when he was 15 with his best friend uh, and they left Hull um, and then Something happened between them, uh, and um, one of them murdered the other one. Okay. And basically left him um, to, to sort of rot. Uh, when they found him, he was just a skeleton. And um, it caused outrage. Uh, there was loads of investigations into what could have caused it and, and why, and, and big big political people got involved. It was discussed in the House of Commons and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the family is still in Hull, uh, oh. and he was buried in Hull. Um, and I'd always wanted to write about him because a few people had tackled him as sort of chapters in books. Yeah. But when you do that, you can't give him the full, the mm. full background, full history. Yeah. But I've been able to go back and research his family, who were fascinating. Um, the murderer's family, I was able to research them, and they're fascinating. Um, I discovered stuff that had happened before the murder that could shed mm. light on 
motive and, and things like that, why he did it. Um, oh. Just all little things, you know, that mm. because people only covered him in a chapter, they were never mm. really allowed to elaborate on it, or maybe just didn't know that material was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's really interesting because I've been speaking to the families and stuff and visiting the sites and, yeah, it's really mm. interesting. Yeah. Definitely. I absolutely love my true crime. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah. it's definitely it's definitely one of those things that, like you said, if it if it's something that you really enjoy, you could get so sucked into it, and you don't you like you don't mind putting in the hours of research because you're learning something really interesting. You yeah. just like you're doing what most of us do day to day, looking into cases, looking into things, but you've got the brains to write it all down when you're done with it. Instead of like that was interesting and going about my day, you're putting it down to help other people yeah. read about it, so they don't have to go digging to find out the information, which it's going to save me a lot of a, a lot of effort. So, <laughs> away you good. Um, so, I think we've covered what your your first paranormal experience was. Um, so, my next question would be: What do you believe? would explain the paranormal like what are ghosts spirits whatever what do you think it would be the explanation uh, I, I, right? I firmly believe that ghosts are the spirits of dead people mm-hmm. and that's why as an historian when i go to a venue i look for um I, you know i go to the archives and look for things like deaths murders and suicides um, and I spent hours and hours researching. Um, one of the properties I did research was a, a place called 39 Degree Street, which is said to be the most haunted house in all. It was rumoured at one point to be the most haunted house in Great Britain. And to be honest, I don't even think it was the most haunted house on Degree Street. The history that they'd created to sell tickets was just nonsense. They said there was deaths, murders and suicides. They said that 20 people was killed in there, 20 kids, which would have been documented. Uh, they said it was a funeral parlour, a morgue, a mortuary. And I went to the archives and spent hours and hours and hours just trawling through trade directories, census returns, newspaper reports. It actually belonged to a furniture maker. Um, I actually tracked down the previous occupants. I was able to interview them. Um, they confirmed that nothing paranormal had ever happened there. One of the stories that was that the last lady that lived in there was dragged out of bed and held against the wall. And I was able to speak to her and she denied anything like that had ever happened. Uh, according to the stories, the police were called and the police went to the property and ran away because there was so much activity. I sent a freedom of information request to Umberside Police uh, and they basically said we've never been to the property. Um, so I was able to gather all these different sources, mm-hmm. put them together and show basically a timeline, you know, showing that it was all nonsense and all rubbish. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, a lot of the properties I do research, they've had recorded deaths, recorded mm-hmm. murders, recorded suicides. And people ignore them because a lot of properties have this like fake history and a lot of it is now paranormal groups will go and they will say, I've done the research, but I didn't find anything. And what they actually mean is I've looked on Google and there's nothing yeah. on Google. So mm-hmm. Whereas I'll go to the archives and hours and hours and hours trawling through, you know, old newspapers and dusty mm-hmm. um, books and stuff like that, trying to get to the bottom of these stories. Yeah. I do believe that when there is a, a property that's got activity, about 98% of the time when I've researched it, I've gone back and found, sure enough, this activity mm. and sure enough there is a death or a tragedy or a suicide or a murder that would account for what people are seeing. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine there's many deaths, murders or suicides in furniture shops. 
They're not normally no, on, the, no. on the top of the list of most haunted buildings, <laughs> are they? <laughs> depends if it's spooky furniture. <laughs> yeah, but depends what kind of furniture. furniture. Really bad furniture. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, you um, another question, Stu? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, you obviously mentioned, obviously, the first encounter you had was when you were eight. Um, but what, what would you say is, like, your most unique encounter, something that you've probably not heard anybody else sort of experience? Um, <laughs> in... I can't remember what year it was now. In about, I think it was 2015 or 2016. I was tasked. Uh, I, I was working freelance at the time with the whole Daily Mail, and one of the stories that crossed my desk was the Beast of Bounston Drain, which was um, the British media uh, made it out like it was a seven-foot werewolf knocking about uh, on the drain in Hull, and I went to investigate that, and it was just so surreal. Um, just the way it happened because people just got swept up in it all. Uh, yeah. The British media made it out like we were walking around on a night with torches and pitchforks and it was like a hammer <laughs> horror movie. It was just more like a lot of students walking about with cameras trying yeah. to film stuff in the dark. Um, we had uh, Travel Channel came and did a documentary. Uh, Vice TV came and did a documentary. Um, we threw so much at it in terms of cameras, night vision cameras, thermal imaging cameras trail cameras, you name it. Um, and when you look at things individually, they are circumstantial, but when you hold, hold them all up together, it could look like there is something there. And it was really funny because people started believing it. And I remember at one point, uh, I said to the whole Daily Mail, I'm going to go and walk on the drain one night and just take some photos and write about you know, the atmosphere. And I remember the old Daily Mail sort of saying, take care, you know, make sure you contact us every hour to let us know you're safe. Uh, and I forgot, I ended up in Burger King. Um, <laughs> I, I just totally forgot to do it. And th the next morning, I had this message saying, where the hell are you? Are you okay? Uh, you know, is everything all right? And I think they believed that I'd been bit by a werewolf. <laughs> it was just crazy that... I remember one night we were filming. Uh, it was a Vice TV. We had gone into a cemetery, and the cemetery's near an old tan yard, and the, the tanning yard smells. It stinks of... Um, they basically take carcasses of cows and rip the skin off them, and it's awful. And this guy turned around to me and he said, look, there's a really weird smell. And I was like, it's the tanning yard. And he said, can you prove that? Well, nah, I can't because it's closed. But, like, you know, if you want to climb over the wall, you know. And mm. he turned around and said, but there's another werewolf called Old Stinker. And the name suggested it smells. So I was like, fair mm. enough. And then there was a full moon. And then later on, we heard some dogs howling. And they actually turned around to me and said, for the health and safety of our crew, we believe that we should pack up and now leave. And I was like, what? Oh. And they've just taken all these little random things and stuck them all together yeah. and made well. Um, yeah. and it's really funny that, you know, people got in touch with the local council and said, do you, um, do you have silver bullets in cases of werewolves? <laughs> uh, does the council have a policy in place if you capture the werewolf? And the, the, the way the media had, had just taken this bare story of people seeing this, most of them described it as a large wolf. Yeah. And by the end, they, they turned around and said it was a seven foot, uh, bipedal creature that could jump over walls and, and shape shift mm. and, and all sorts and it was just absolutely bonkers um, mm. the weirdest one was I don't know if you've heard of Reverend Peter Laws he writes for 14 Towns magazine yes. he published a book yeah. called The Frighteners mm. uh, yes. Peter came to Hull and said to me will you take me out on a werewolf hunt and I took him out and we was down Bamston Drain, it was a Saturday night it was approaching midnight You know, all my mates are in town uh, having a few drinks and 
you know, and I'm here on a train with a vicar. Um, and he said, to me, have you ever brought a steak on a werewolf hunt? And I thought it meant, like, vampire steaks. <laughs> so, okay, my <laughs> yeah, he brought out of his bag this beautiful piece of peppered steak. It was gorgeous. And he said to me, um, I'm going to cut it up. And he took a knife out. I mean, this is a, this this guy's a priest. Um, and he cuts it up and he starts wrapping string around it. And he gives me the string. And he says to me, I want you to pull this down the drain, be at you. So I said, what for? And he said, two reasons. He said, one, it'll be really good for the book. And two, it will hopefully attract the werewolf. So it's a Saturday night. All my mates are out on the, you know, getting getting pissed and whatnot. I'm walking around dragging a bit of steak be at me on a drain. And I, I just thought, if one of my mates sees me now, or if there's someone walking a dog, I'm just going to be the laughing stock. Um, and it was, I mean, we had some weird stuff happen to us that night. We, we did have some weird stuff happen. We had another occasion, we had um, a, a folklore expert called Charles Christiansen and his wife, who was an animal tracker. Uh, we were with the Assembled Wells Media because I'd basically got, I'd got fed up with them taking the piss and said, come to Hull and experience the drain on a night. And when we were walking along, the trees on the other side started shaking like Jurassic Park. And we saw these green eyes staring at us. And they were quite far apart. Now, it was probably a large dog. But as we were looking, we got uh, we got the torches out and another set of eyes appeared. Mm. And I turned around to Charles. Charles didn't know what it was. We turned around to his wife. She didn't know what it was. We turned around to the Assembled Wells Media and they'd all done a runner. Ran <laughs> <laughs> back to their, their cars and their, their minibuses. And we caught up with them and said, what the hell? Like, what, what what have you run away for? And they were all busy typing and writing up the report for the next mm. day. And this guy was like, this is amazing. This is, like, fantastic. And the next day, I thought, God, they were, we're going to look like idiots. Mm. Um, and the next day, they published this report saying we went out last night and we saw these weird green eyes and we don't know what they were. And at that point, the media started taking it a little bit more seriously. Mm. Um, but it was just so, the whole, the whole months and months, it was just surreal. I did radio interviews in Japan. And I wow. thought, they're not going to understand the word I'm saying over there. Like, I, I was interviewed from uh, China, um, all across North America, South America, across Europe, um, Australia, New Zealand. I had people ringing up pretty much 24 7. Um, and I took, you name it, uh, folklore experts, animal trackers, um, people, you know, people involved in cryptozoology. Um, I took hundreds, if not thousands, of people out. And we did find stuff. We found animals ripped apart. We found uh, lots of fecal matter that we don't know where it came from. At one point, we found um, someone <clears throat> had dropped a box of cooked tomato pizza and just left it on the drain bank. And we didn't know if it was some sort of sacrifice, some sort of offering, or if it was flat. We just couldn't tell. Um, and it was just really surreal how all this weird stuff was going on in this, this, this sort of corridor. Yeah, yeah, I think when you said lots of weird stuff happened, we've had one comment saying, what, weirder, weirder than walking a stake? <laughs> we saw all this stuff. There was a guy walking a stake on a piece of string. It was weird. It's very strange. Yeah, like... one, one quick question just from the, did you ever find out or come to any decision of what the thing with the green eyes was? I asked because no. a party, um... I did a party a few days ago and someone was telling me that they'd, gone on a walk, I think it was through Canic Chase, like closer to us, and they'd walked up to the top of this hill, a nice romantic walk with her and a partner, and then they started hearing the, the bushes next to them rustling, and they're like, 
kind of just realise they're in the middle of nowhere on their own and it's dark and if anyone jumps in and try to kill them, they're screwed. So they're like, let's walk back to the car now. So they start walking back down this hill and this rustling follows them on both sides of the, of the path and the faster they walk, this thing gets faster and faster and as they get to the bottom of the, the path and it splits off in two directions so they start waving their torch around deciding which way to go and as they're showing the torch down the left one, I think she's described at least seven or eight pairs of bright green eyes reflecting back at them. So they're like, yeah, we'll go this way, away from that. And she was like, well, I wonder what it was. I wonder what it was. Do you think that was the rustling? I was like, oh, that was running away from whatever was following you. She's like, I never thought of that. Don't scare me even more. <laughs> I was like, yeah, they're all hiding from that thing. Yeah, so, I was yeah, going to... be weird that it was another like wooded area and another... <clears throat> another sighting of something with green eyes. Yeah, there's a couple of compelling pieces of evidence from that area. Number one is there is a large gypsy encampment, and they do have a lot of big dogs. Um, and the other thing is, uh, one of the eyewitnesses we spoke to worked for Hull City Council, and he worked for the Dangerous Dogs Division, and he was called there because people had seen a wolf, um, mm. and they set up traps and all sorts, and it, it was never fully conclusively proven that it was a wolf or, or a large dog. Um, and then another gentleman, I was lecturing in Nottingham and he approached me in Nottingham and he was from Hull. And he said, when we was kids, we used to play near the drain. And he said, I remember seeing the, the, the corpse of a wolf dead at the side of the drain. Um, and he said, I stood in it accidentally in my sand shoes and my feet sort of went through its carcass. And he said, I remember running home and my mum was kicking off saying, what the hell's going on with your shoes? And he said, I dare tell her that I'd been near the drain because it's it's a notorious death trap. A lot of kids mm. had fallen in over the years around and and he said, I was terrified of telling my parents where I'd been. He said, and in hindsight, I wish I had them because mm. that could have been a good piece of evidence. Yeah. yeah. And again, Cannot Trace is another place that has lots and lots of sightings of werewolves or bipedal things walking well, you know through the bushes that look a lot like wolves. I'm fairly sure that that's one of our mutual friends, which I won't name. <laughs> I'm pretty it's sure. It's... Yeah. Well, we did it. We did a sky watch. I think it was in April this year. We took a load of people to Canic Chase, and we told them all because it was meant to be like a UFO sky watch. So we told them all about the UFO sightings beforehand, to kind of drum up a bit of interest. I think we we must have had nearly hundred people turn up, quite a few people there, and the whole sky was covered in cloud the whole night. So it's the world's worst sky watch because you couldn't see any of the fucking sky. But then once I'd got them all surrounded, I decided to go through all the black-eyed children's sightings and werewolves and pigman and whatever else had been seen there and made sure to, made, made sure to tell them all that most of the sightings were in the field we were sitting in. So quite a few people got a little bit more edgy. Um, um, every time someone went to the toilet and you could hear the rustling in the trees, you could see people panicking. But extra good just to scare people that little bit more. But I don't think we saw anything anything too weird. I don't think I didn't anyway. We missed the UFO sighting because there's a there's two World War Two cemeteries. There's like the, the Commonwealth one, and then further back you have got the German one. So we like doing a little ghost walk between one and the other. Obviously staying out of the cemetery, you know, being respectful, just kind of looking in through from over the bushes and stuff. And me and one of the one of the the local UFO researchers, we spent twenty minutes watching an aeroplane because it was coming directly at us. So you could just see the headlights and you couldn't see any of the other lights. 
So we're sitting there, what is that? That's weird. And just watching an aeroplane for 20 minutes, get back to the sky watch, and everyone's like, oh, we saw a UFO, we saw this big orange thing, and it was doing all this. And we're like, I saw an aeroplane. <laughs> Wasted all that bloody time. I think uh, I think B has a as a um oh, a question. Yeah. yeah. Uh what is a key piece of equipment you can't do without as an investigator? Oh my camera, definitely. I take my camera everywhere. In one form or another, I have uh cameras on my phone, I have a compact camera, I have a a, a big camera, I've camera I've got got a camera on my tablet. I'm looking for my tablet and it's here recording me. Um camera on my tablet I, I take photos everywhere i go everywhere mm. um you know and record stuff um so yeah definitely m- my cameras what just kind of jumping on the end of b's question there um what piece of equipment that everyone claims everyone. is like the best thing you should have and you have to have if you had to pick the worst one that everyone swears by that you think is absolute crap what would you what would you say Oh, I don't know. That's a tough one. That I've I've worked with one of the weirdest ones I've worked with is this um, the REM pod, but built inside a teddy bear. Mm. Um, I just don't see the point of that. <laughs> um, you know, if you're a kid, you're going to be impressed by flashing lights anyway, regardless mm. if it's in a teddy or not. Yeah. Um, so that's always, and especially when people are stood there like talking to the bear. Mm. Um, I found that surreal. I remember once going to, uh, watching an investigation with some friends, and they had a theremin. Um, you know, the thing that makes the thing tune from Star yeah. Trek. And they they went to a haunted caravan and set this up on the table and the theremin was going crazy. And I just pointed out basically that the air pressure outside would be different to the air pressure inside and the fluctuations mm-hmm. would make the theremin go off. And that was it. I was kicked out of the caravan. <laughs> um, and, but they yeah. were they were convinced it was paranormal. Uh, yeah, everyone and- always is. You you take yeah. your your EMF detector and wave it by a light switch and oh my light switch is haunted it's going mad <laughs> like, no, I don't think that's what it is <laughs> yeah another question this is Chris from the Out Limits magazine uh, what for you is Hall's best UFO story uh, for me um, evening Chris. Chris is an old friend of mine. We we used to go to Hull UFO Society many years ago, and he ran the uh, he runs the Outer Limits magazine and Outer Limits conference. Um, it, for me, it would be the eighteen oh one Hull UFO scare, um, which is one I uncovered in the archives. Um, I was looking for strange celestial phenomena in the old newspapers and came across this report um, from Hull in eighteen oh one, where this strange blue light came down over the city. Um, it split off into several pieces, it joined back together and then it disappeared. Um, and I remember when I published it, I mean, I published it maybe in 2015 and nobody really picked up on the story for, for a couple of years. But then when it did, it went viral. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember a friend of mine who lives in Poland was like, you're on the TV in Poland um, talking about UFOs. And it just went crazy. Um, it was all over. And I think it made it onto Unilad. Uh, so yeah, so you know, you know, you've met it when you're on Unilad. Um, but yeah, it just went viral. It was such a massive story. Um, wow. it just the all the different newspapers were were publishing um, different mm. accounts back in 1801 of this phenomena, um, yeah. and they actually got um, people from the Royal um, I can't remember what they're called, the Royal Observer Celestial 
astronomy mm. people and they basically said we don't know what it is we can't account for it and it, it was just fascinating that it was just not conclusively proven um you know people initially said well it could have been a comet like you say when the airplane approached you head on yeah. it could have been a comet coming towards them and splitting and mm. that's what they've seen but for it to come back together again yeah. defies yeah. most what we know most meteorites coming down don't join back up again no well not that i've seen one do that anyway we'll just kind of again jump on the the end of chris's question there because i've got a very similar sort of question, but about the paranormal. While doing your research, have you come across any stories from hundreds of years ago, a couple of hundred years ago, of people seeing ghosts or any other paranormal stuff like from a long, long time ago? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the early Victorian period, especially, I, I did a lot of research in the archives, in the old Hull newspapers. Um, back in the Victorian period, Hull had about 10 different newspapers. Some were published weekly, some were published daily, um, uh, and they just covered all sorts. And it was very, they were very switched on, very scientific. Um, and in the 1850s, there was a, a, a supposedly haunted house um, on Anlaby Road, which is to the west of, of where I am. And these people had heard knocking and tapping. Uh, and they basically, initially, they contacted the police and the police came and couldn't explain it. The police contacted the greatest scientific minds in the town at that time. They went to investigate and that the best idea that they could come up with was let's take the walls off the house. Um, I mean, if you do that, it's not a house anymore. Um, they looked at things it like... knocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they looked at... There was no water supply to the house back then. There was no electricity. There was no gas. Uh, they looked for things like animals, uh, rats and rodents and all this kind of stuff. There was none of that. They just couldn't explain it. And it was such a big story. It was published in all the British newspapers at the time. And back then, obviously, there was no TV and no radio. So what they used to do is when people went to the theatre, before your performance started, you got an update on the day's proceedings of what had happened at the haunted house on Anne Road. And it was just amazing. It was such a big story. Um, so that was really interesting and right throughout the 1850s and 1860s there's loads of stories of haunted houses and no one had ever looked at these before You know, mm. I, I wrote a book about them um, just fascinating accounts of, of haunted houses one of the biggest ones was a guy called Constable Connor Kelly he was a police officer but he was a gold medal winning wrestler uh, during the Olympics and he'd been called to a haunted house because there was poltergeist activity and the headlines, as you can imagine, Olympic gold wrestler takes on poltergeist, you know, and this, I think this was late, late, late 1800s, early 1900s when this one came out. So it would have been hilarious, you know, this wrestler like goes a, in thinking. Well, the new pay-per-view, take him, uh, yeah. him, and the, him and the poltergeist in Wembley, <laughs> see how many rounds yeah. they can go. I would, I would pay for that. Yeah, I would pay to see that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I believe yeah. Chris... Two, two seconds, though. I will just mention as well um, that Outer Limits magazine, I think I saw yesterday that Chris has announced the, um, the conference for next year, next September, I think, 2023. That's one of many that me and Stu will definitely, hang on, by the way, me and Stu will definitely be at next year. Yeah. So once the tickets go on sale, I'll, uh, I'll stick a, a link on the Instagram and the Facebook page and whatever and try and get as many of you guys up there as well. Just yeah. just after we bought our tickets, I don't want you guys buying all the tickets and then it sells out and then we can't go. I'll make sure I've got my tickets first and then I'll, I'll give everyone else the information. Sorry, Stu. You can carry on now. I keep interrupting you. 
No, no, it's fine. Uh, uh, Chris asked if uh, Mike has ever seen a ghost. It seems like a pretty basic question, but go for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many years ago, I worked at a place in Hull called uh, Needlers. Uh, Needlers was an old sweet factory. They used to make uh, bonbons and boiled sweets and stuff like that. And I used to work the night shift. Um, and I mean, at the time, I was about 21. I was only a young kid. And uh, what we used to do is at the end of the night, we would reproduce all the toffee that we'd used during the night. And it would go in a big machine and be recycled. And at the end of the night, there was a guy called Bernard that would do that job by himself. And I always used to feel sorry for him. So when he was recycling, I would say to him, Bernard, would you like a hand? And, and I'd give him a hand, pushing um, big pallets full of old toffee. Um, and the toffee machine was upstairs on the, I believe it was the second or third floor. And we'd gone up by ourselves. And it must have been about five, half five in the morning because we finished at six. And we were walking along and he was pulling and I was pushing. And I heard a noise behind me. And I heard him shout, what the hell are you doing up here? And I turned to look, and there was a man dressed in brown overalls behind a load of pallets. And when he came out into the runway of where we pull the, the trolley, he had no legs. He just kind of hovered. And he ignored us and just moved across the factory floor. I didn't think he was a ghost. Hmm. Bernard didn't think he was a ghost. We thought he'd broke in. Hmm. So we ran after him. And we chased him and he went round a corner. And back then, I don't know if you've ever been in a factory where they've got mirrors. So when the forklift trucks go around the corner, they can see if yeah. there's anyone standing there. And I remember running and looking at the mirror and just seeing him floating off. And it still never registered in my head that he was a ghost. And he went through a set of double doors and we went through the set of double doors and he went through another set of double doors. And at that, we they were locked. And I remember looking through the glass and I could see him on the other side sort of just moving away from us. And Bernard said to me, did you notice anything unusual? And I said to him, pretty sure we didn't have any legs. And he was like, you know. And I remember just being like for a heartbeat and then just thinking, shit, what have we seen? And I remember getting on the um, the elevator going back downstairs and we bumped into this guy who was Scottish. And it was really funny. And he could see we were both agitated and that we'd mm. experienced something. And it, in the broadest of Scottish accents, he just said the words, you've seen unspeakable evil. But if you can imagine that in a Scottish accent, it made me, made me laugh so much. Um, and I remember going into the staff room and just sitting down and getting a cup of coffee. To, and I'm just thinking, what the hell have I seen? Mm. And people could see we were both shaken up and they were saying, what have you just experienced? And as we were telling people, mm. they were like, oh, yeah, it's common knowledge. Yeah, yeah, the, the fitters see him all the time. You know, he's been seen loads of times up there. Why not mention that then before we go up there by ourselves? It would have been a good idea to give us a little bit of pre-warning. Yeah. Um, the place was super active. We had after that point because I was so interested in it, I would go around and ask the staff, "What have you seen? What have you mm. seen?" And I would interview people and get their accounts. And I ended up with hundreds of accounts from security guards, night watchmen, delivery drivers, fitters, you name it. All these different accounts from people seeing and hearing stuff. Mm. Um, and then they knocked it down and built houses on it. So. Right. So now someone's got this guy in overalls walking through their kitchen. It wouldn't surprise me. Did you think that was like kind of like uh, I think it's called recorded history or or yeah? I, I think like what we had a... seen it was like replaying. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think it it would have been cool to go back on the anniversary and see if that happened again. Um, um, but before that point, we all got made redundant, so there was yeah. there was no going back to see anything. I think so. That's the other one. There's there's a lot of 
Look, obviously, I think we've, we've said it. I, I try my best not to repeat myself on these shows because obviously anyone listening, I've, I kind of say the same things a lot. But when you're interviewing different people, you kind of want to ask the same sort of questions. But we always sort of see ghosts as just these these the energy replaying over and over again. There's nothing actually there. You can't interact with it. You can't ask it questions. It probably can't see you. It's just energy replaying over and over again. Whereas a spirit is something that seems to be more intellectual, more conscious. You can kind of interact with it and things like that. But um, with these sort of spirits that um, that kind of replay over and over again, I think um, that – what exactly – Questions fell out of my head again. I was trying to explain exactly what I meant, just just enough, and then the end of the question just disappeared. Ignore me, Stu. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like, you, oh, this is a really good question. No, it's not. It's gone. Uh, going off of like what I'll you were, yeah, what, what you were saying. So, yeah, do you think that like, do you think like that kind of thing? There's two different or multiple types of spirit ghosts and and uh, you know entities out there and they all behave differently yeah definitely i mean with that he he just ignored us so i don't think he could see us and i don't think he could hear us but on occasion i've been places where you know i've been in a room on my own and in the dark and there's been nothing in there but a table and i've said right if you hear bang on the table and i've heard knocking on the table you know, and stuff like that. And it's been intelligent responses, but mm. there's never, I've never seen an apparition in, in response to that. Um, All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's that. I mean, there's, there's obviously as well, um, what happened in, in my house, um, what happened in here. I don't know if you know the story of what happened in, in this place. Um, we moved into this property um, a week before the whole floods and within a few um, days of living in here my eldest woke up in the middle of the night screaming and he said there was a man at the, the doorway of his bedroom with a bit of wood and he was banging it in his hand um, and he was terrified and then my daughter would wake up on a night and she would say where's the little old lady that sings to us and tucks us into bed on a night um, and I was like well there is no old lady I don't know what you're on about and then one night my eldest woke up screaming and I ran into his bedroom and I hugged him and said, who is it? And um, he put his head on my shoulder and he whispered in my ear and he said, he's, he's behind you. And I turned around and there was no one there. And um, you know, I told my wife what was going on and, and she basically said to me, look, why don't you go and research the property? Why don't you go and have a look at the history of the building? So I went to the archives um, and started printing off um newspaper reports and I found a newspaper report in the whole times and it said murder on 7th street which is where we live and um, so I just thought oh, I'll print these off because you know as I mentioned earlier I like my true crime stuff mm. um, and I started printing off all these newspaper reports um, and as I was scrolling through I don't know if you'll be able to pick it up on the camera um, I don't know if that's too bright or you might focus let me just yeah. turn the brightness down um You can see their murder charge in Hull. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then um, I printed off all these reports. And sure enough, there was one that said basically that a woman 
have been found dead with head injuries, and it actually gives the address, which was our house. Um, wow. So basically what had happened was the lodger had come home and, and at nine o'clock at night, he'd grabbed an axe and he'd put it through the, the lady of the house, Mrs. Garbert, he'd put it through her head six times in the room that's just behind me. He then dragged their body into this room where I'm sat, switched on the gas taps. When that failed, he cut his wrists. He failed to kill himself and he was arrested. He was sent to the hospital on Beverly Road and he escaped and ran into the town centre and he was arrested again. They bandaged him up, sent him to the police courts. He was declared insane. He got sent to the asylum and in the asylum he killed himself. So I've got a murder and an attempted suicide and suicide linked to the property. And then, so there was that. And then it was, the, the other question was if... If she's dead, uh, if, if she's on her own and she's got a lodger, where's her husband? So I went mm. further back in time and in 1929, see that one? Missing mm. Hullman, mm-hmm. uh, and there he is. And he went missing from the property in 1929. He was found floating in the Humber. Looked like someone had been had beat him up and thrown him in the Humber. Um, wow. So we ended up calling in the Diocese of York and they sent their exorcist. And he came to the house, lovely guy. Uh, still friends with the man and he came into the property he said don't tell me anything about the house and he walked to the bottom of the stairs and he said there's a man at the top of the stairs and he's got an axe and he wants to kill you and your family so i mean i swore i said he, he can but in very colorful language um so he said we'll arrange that and he said there's a lovely old lady and she loves being here she's protective over the house she's protective over you and your family she's happy so if she's happy she can stay uh, mm. Sometimes we get the smell of like lavender and stuff like that, mm. and occasionally you'll hear like singing. But it's not like in the horror films or anything. You know, it's not like mm. in the Conjuring or any of that crap. Yeah. Um, it's a nice place to live. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was weird getting all the newspaper reports, mm. and I've written about it in several of my books um, mm. and reproduced the newspaper reports um, verbatim so people can read them and, and see how the story developed. Yeah. I've remembered my question. I've remembered my question. <laughs> so, yeah, I was talking to, uh, we had Richard Felix on, the historian from Most Haunted a few weeks ago, and we were discussing the the what could be the triggers for these residual hauntings, whether it is just they replay on an anniversary or whether it's certain, you giving off certain energy that maybe you match the frequency of said energy in the rooms and now you're able to see it so i think he said he he heard something when he because he does like these like war reconstruction things that he was like really really happy and like the probably the happiest that he'd been in a really long time and then he heard someone whispering and talking in his ear and there was no one there no one else heard it and he sort of kind of thought that it was because he was so happy that he kind of Managed to hear it. So, what's your opinion? Do you think that it, it is just something that maybe it just replays on on an anniversary or every few months? Is it just the weather affected? Is it just affected by the people that experience it? What do you think the trigger is for the residual hauntings? Yeah, I think we do have uh, anniversary ghosts where they come, you know, on the anniversary. I've seen a few. I've had a few reports in Hull from sort of incidents from uh, World War Two where people have reported screaming and crying on a, on the anniversary of certain bombings and stuff like that. Um, but as well, interestingly, I've been to venues where there's been 10 or 11 of us in a room and something's happened in the room, but not everyone has seen it. 
Mm. Um, and they're all stood in the same room. And so why have only certain people seen it and, and stuff like that? Mm. Um, you know, and it's, I find that kind of weird how some people see it and some people don't. Mm. But like you said, we in tune with their energy levels and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. I've worked at a lot of venues where people have reported stuff, you know, and I've, we've gone to those rooms specifically and, and asked for activity and nothing's happened. But mm-hmm. then in another room, stuff will happen. Um, yeah. And I've gone to venues. I've gone, in, we get a lot of venues that have the claim where it's the most haunted. I've gone to a lot of these venues and nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, I've gone to places where they've had no reported activity and stuff's happened and it's been quite active. Um, yeah. And when you go and speak to the staff, they sort of say, well, yeah, we did see stuff, we did hear stuff, but we didn't really want to report it because we don't want to sound mm-hmm. stupid. And mm-hmm. then, you know, when you verify it for them and say, well, we've experienced this as well, you know, and um, it, it changes them, you know. Yeah. I remember one, it was a, a piano, a grand piano, and this lady on a night when she was locking up, she had the grand piano playing and she wouldn't tell anyone because she thought she was nuts. And she came to me and she said, look, you know, I've, I've, I've heard this grand piano and she told me in confidence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, I'm going to go and investigate. I won't mention your name. I'll just go and ask other people. And mm-hmm. I discovered seven independent witnesses that all heard this piano as well as her. And I was able to go back to her and say, you're not the only member of staff that's heard mm-hmm. this. Other people have as well. And just the look on her face that she was elated. You know, she was so happy. Yeah. She's she not said, going was, mental. Yeah, yeah, she said, I thought I was going nuts. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think we're... We've touched on on the show here the amount of like tiny little odd, unexplainable things that go on in this house. Like we've heard a little girl singing. My partner has seen because we've got a little girl. So normally you see a little girl running past, you just assume it's my daughter. But she she saw a push a little toy pushchair get pushed across the room, and she turned around to speak to her, and there was nobody there. She heard a singing, and she was singing Fleetwood Mac. So the missus was like, oh, wow, you, you, you're singing one of my favourite songs. Turn around, nobody there. We've seen people walk across the stairs, into the, across the hallway into the living room when the kids should be in bed, and one of the kids is sneaking downstairs, coming here, nobody there. I've, um, I've The last few days, at least three or four times, I've felt someone lift the back of my shirt up and, like, the the first time I thought maybe I'd just kind of move my arm in a weird way and it had kind of fallen or something, just trying to kind of logically explain it. But then at least three more times after that, I felt as if it's being pulled or lifted or both. And I'm just like turning around thinking maybe one of the cats has got me or something. And like there's nothing there. I'm like, what are you pulling at me for? Leave me alone. So we've had so much, so many weird things happen. I don't even like acknowledge most of it now I'm just oh that thing happened again and just carry on with my day but it just like every now and again it happens lots and lots of times so I'm like okay maybe someone's trying to get my attention so I think I might have to uh, try to start listening a little bit more because someone's obviously trying to get my attention but oi listen to me <laughs> yeah acknowledging yeah hmm. uh, just have a look at the Mm. <clears throat> there we go. Uh, thing away from the replaying loop for the spirits. What do you think causes a spirit to attach to a person and follow them from place to place? I think I've I've had something very similar 
where when I moved into Luna's house, when I when we first got together, I'd been seeing this weird shadow figure walking past the door every day since I was a kid. No one else ever saw it. The day I moved out, my parents saw it. And as I moved into Luna's house, she saw it. And then we moved in here. Other people have seen it as well. So this, whatever it is, seems to be moving from wherever I go. So whatever it is seems to be following me. So if we could come to the bottom of why things are following you, that would help me out a lot as well. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes they just get... I know in the past I've dealt with cases where um, people have reported to getting followed by children and stuff like that. And we've gone and we've found that the children just have a connection. Just, hmm. you know, like this person. Um, in some instances, we've found that they're, you know, they lived in that particular building and they just have an affection for it. And I always, the way I describe it to people is like the last 10 minutes of Titanic. Like hmm. it, it goes back to the Titanic because that's where he had them, them wonderful experiences and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and I try and describe it like that. A lot of people will go back to those places where they enjoyed, they, they liked spending time there. Um, and it might be in, in your in your case, it might be that, you know, that they're just grown attached to you and your kids and stuff like that. Um, you know, and that's why you're experiencing stuff. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, people going back to places they really, really like, um, <laughs> a lot of your research has been based on pubs. And that, that to me, seems to be why there's so many haunted pubs. It's not necessarily they all died there. If you're going to pick somewhere that you used to enjoy, are you going to sit down with your wife and kids or are you going to go to the pub? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Luke. A lot of my research... <laughs> a, a lot of research I, um, I uncovered. Look, there's one in Hull we called Yield White Heart. Mm. And there's loads of myths and legends attached to it. And it's got like a fake history. But people have seen a 20-year-old girl in the fireplace and people have seen a middle-aged woman on the staircase. And I went away and researched the, the history of the pub and I discovered that there was a... In 1806, Charles Clarkson was the landlord. He had a daughter who was 20 years old. Her name was Fanny. She went downstairs one morning, lit the fire, and the, a nightdress caught on fire and it killed her. So I think that's why people are seeing the woman in the fireplace. And then on the stairs, there was a lady called Clara Seapelt. She was the landlady. She was coming down the stairs one morning. She fell and she broke her neck um, and she died. So I think that's why people are seeing these two spirits. But it gets ignored because, you know, according to the legend, this is where um, the plot to keep Charles I out of Hull took place and all this kind of nonsense. It wasn't even built when Charles I came to Hull. Um, but they've created this fake history so when you do paranormal nights there people get possessed by the bloody king and stuff like that and it's, it's just all nonsense mm. it's always the way uh, and I'll just put that one up Chris's answer as to why pubs have ghosts they're full of spirits, well done Chris <laughs> I knew someone was going to say it uh, yeah, Chris said he used to live in Grimsby for 14 years so I've seen a lot of stuff in the sky and in the North Sea um, have you heard or seen anything for yourself? Yeah, the um, well, the Humber is um, what separates all from Grimsby. That has been particularly active with UFO sightings over the years. Um, there's loads of stuff in the National Archives about sightings over the Humber. Um, 1967 was a peak year for sightings over the Humber. People were seeing strange red lights, um, mm. and these were getting reported by people living in the flats in Hull. 
um, and they were reported right along the Humber banks. And it led to an investigation because they thought people were setting off flares in a bid to let the lifeboat people out. And the lifeboat people investigated and couldn't find a cause. You know, and it was just a really weird period for about three months in 67 where people were reporting these red lights over the Humber and over the North Sea. Um, but yeah, definitely there's been loads of activity. Um, and that that is, I'm assuming we're talking about UFOs in that instance. Mm. Um, the, I also investigated the Humber Monster, which was another one that was uh, I, I have really fond memories of. That was a, a story I'd uncovered in the archives between 1923 and 1933. Hundreds of people saw sea monsters mm. in the Humber um, and these were seen from uh, Whitby all the way down the Yorkshire coast, right up the Humber, and then back around the Lincolnshire coast. Um, and loads of people were reporting these. And I wrote an article about it in the Hull Daily Mail. Um, I wrote an article about it for the Hull Museums. And nobody really picked up on it. It was a bit of a slow burner. And then overnight, mm. I can't... I think it was about three or four months later, this guy from the, the Express had read the story and snapped it up and published it but made it sound like it was current. Yeah. Uh, and it just led to uh, loads of reports from people coming in. Um, and then one of the newspapers said, uh, Mike is the head of the Humber Monster Watch. So then people were calling up, asking to join the Humber Monster Watch. I was like, there's no such thing. <laughs> like, this media have made this. Um, yeah. And again, it ended up in, I ended up talking to people in Japan, um, wow. all over the world about the Humber Monster. And it, people at 40 and time said, we'd like to wish Mike all the best in his pursuit in search of this monster. I'm not looking for it. <laughs> this was like 78, 90 years ago. You know, this is not now. Um, but yeah, it was just so funny when people, um, people were coming forward with sightings. Uh, there was one guy who came forward and he said, when I was a little boy in the 1920s or 1930s, I, I remember seeing something and it was just wonderful. All these people coming mm. forward. And then, um, Hull Museums, I'd written a blog for them in 2015 and forgotten all about it. And last year, um, they put up these tentacles in all the, the, the museums and stuff um, to, to, to make out the Humble Monster was back. And so it still captures people's imaginations now. Yeah. I think, I don't know anywhere in the UK that doesn't have some form of, some form of monster, especially where there's water involved. Every lake, every puddle's probably got a monster in it. Yeah. It just there's either a hell of a lot of random water monsters all around the UK, or most of them don't exist, if not all. <laughs> but we've we've got theories on that of like like the Loch Ness monster. Why why no one can find it? They can't find any evidence of it yet. There's been lots and lots of sightings. They've done DNA tests on the water, and the weirdest thing they found is eels. And you'd think something that big would leave a you know a fair amount of stuff behind it to be able to detect its DNA. <clears throat> but we we do a lot of talking about the possible science behind this, because obviously, as we've said lots of times, science can't explain or won't explain the paranormal because they don't want to touch it. But there's something going on whether it is the spirits of the dead or whether it's just something as simple as something along the same lines as gravity. It's just something that we're experiencing that science just hasn't figured out yet. 
it doesn't necessarily have to be the spirits of the dead. It could just be a, a coincidence that it just happens to be happening around where people have died. We're not sure yet. But science eventually has got to explain this. Um, so there's... Oh, Jesus Christ, fucking brain fell flat out of my head again. What was I saying? <laughs> I'm going to go to bed in a minute, I swear. I've just... <laughs> Well, uh, going back to the the um, Loch Ness, um, they, <laughs> they where I carry on, Stu. A couple of months back, they've actually found um, a plesiosaur fossil hmm. in a lake bed, uh, either a lake bed or a river in Africa, and it's hmm. the first one found on like uh, uh, non-salt water and like freshwater um, lake bed, yeah. which then could mean that Loch Ness is a, a plesiosaur. Yeah, and might that's, yeah a, that's, that's what I was going to say. We, we've talk, touched on the science that might explain all of this stuff. And obviously we do, we do a lot of talking about um, dimensions and things like this. That, that I think um, quite a few people we've spoken to have kind of had the same sort of ideas as well, that, that it could just be that these things are alive on another dimension and then every now and again they sort of bleed over, and that's why we see them, but that's why we have no physical evidence of them. And that could explain UFOs. It could explain the paranormal. Maybe these are actually people or something that look like people that are living. We just can't see them. Or maybe it's the fact that time doesn't work the way we think it does, and it's not a linear thing. It's a loop, and it's, it's all playing at the same time. So we could just see little bits of the past. So we are seeing dinosaurs in Loch Ness. We are seeing weird monsters in the river. We are seeing people from 400 years ago walking through your house. But the, to them, it's still happening. And it's it's not necessarily the spirit of the dead person. They're, they're actually just still there to them. And they're just tongues just sort of bleeding over. Yeah, Luna, this is what happens when he doesn't stick with his written down questions. I'm going to start going, oh, I've got an idea. Oh, it all fell out of my head. This is why I make notes. Well, going off of that theory, I'd like to ask Mike, uh, is there any, I've never heard of this before, but is there any recorded um, documentation that you, there's dinosaur ghosts or prehistoric ghosts? Okay, oh, yeah, ghosts. I've heard stories. I mean, that was one of the theories I put forward a while back for the, the Loch Ness Monster. I said, what if it was a ghost? What if people are seeing, you know, dinosaurs from eons ago? If you can imagine that, that whole area would have been covered in ice at some point. So before the mm -hmm. ice, it must have been water. And before the water, yeah. there must have been living creatures in there. So what if we are seeing, you know, the ghost of a dinosaur? And yeah. that's why we yeah. can't get the DNA evidence. That's why we can't get fecal matter. That's why we can't get bones. Because these things, you know, we're... we're, we're millions of years ago yeah. yeah um but yeah there have been over the years people have reported um you know ghostly sightings of dinosaurs and uh pterodactyls and all that kind of stuff um mm. but definitely yeah it, it could go somewhere in explaining it mm. yeah just said imagine you imagine you're being haunted by a dinosaur i'd love it i would you're absolutely gonna, you've got a ghostly velociraptor running up and down your hallway chasing the kids uh, amazing <laughs> i would definitely take that haunting mm, yeah. um 
So I'll stick to my questions that I wrote down so I can't forget them. Mm-hmm. Try to try to be spontaneous and come up with questions that go with what <laughs> we're talking. My brain just fell straight out of my ass twice tonight. So what is your favorite book that you've written so far? I know you've written lots and it's probably a hard hard one to answer, but um oh I don't know. Probably that one. Uh, which is about a, a murder that took place uh, in Hull um, during the 1890s. And the reason being is that it's opened so many doors for me. Mm. Um, and what, what had happened was the, the family had approached me and asked me to research the case for them. And I started researching it and uncovered thousands of newspaper reports, um, loads of stuff that had never been discussed before I was able to take them to the graveside and take them to the spot where the girl was murdered and and things like that and I published the book and the book got purchased by Hollywood to get turned into a film and it just grew from there and it opened up so many doors people wanted to talk about it and write about it and and, um, that was the book that got me involved with Most Haunted um, because it was a link to the location was linked to where she'd visited during the day and then that opened up the door for Most Haunted Live and then that opened up the door for Paranormal Lockdown and all the other stuff I've done since. So it, it's it's been a major book. And over mm. the years, I've been fortunate enough to meet family members related to the girl. And I remember one year I was lecturing about the girl um, and I was in Hedden, not far away from where she used to live. And in the audience, there was about 30 members of the family all related to this girl but they'd never met each other before. So at the end of the night, I just said, if you're related to this girl, stand up. And, you know, when half the audience stands up and everyone's looking around at all these people and it was there just to say, right, you guys are all related. You're all family. Here you all are together, you know, and, and it was wonderful just to see them all meet up afterwards and have a beer together wow, and discuss it. Pretty cool. You just, nice. you just caused a family reunion for yeah. the family that didn't know they were family. Yeah. <clears throat> I love it. Mm. So, um, oh yeah, carry on, Steve. Yeah. So, um, is there a particular place that you haven't investigated yet that you would like to? I I've been visiting York a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I absolutely love the history of York, and uh, I've written a book about it that's waiting to be published. And a lot of the venues that I've visited, I've visited during the day just to get interviews and photographs and stuff like that. But a lot of them I'd love to go back at night. Um, earlier this year, I spent the night in the Golden Fleece, which was fantastic. Um, and I just love some of the venues I've had the pleasure of visiting. are just amazing. Um, a lot of them won't allow people in to investigate overnight, which is a bit of a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll often go sort of, I'll, I'll use guerrilla tactics and, and take a, a big backpack full of equipment and just, mm-hmm. you know, walk around with an EMF in my pocket and, and stuff like that, you know, and just, <laughs> You know, just walk from room to room where no one's looking and have a quick look at me EMF or, you know, put a cat ball on a bookshelf and pretend I'm reading, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. But, yeah, it's it's really awkward because a lot of venues won't let people in um, Mm. to investigate and stuff. And I'll always do like a quid pro quo thing. I'll say to them, I will research the history of your venue. I will give you that research and then you've got that for your whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. If I can investigate, and a lot of venues will say yes, 
Um, mm. And that's opened the door to so many wonderful venues. I've had such amazing nights just on that little, you know, quid pro quo thing of swapping research. And, oh, curiosity and, kills the cat every time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it's great because a lot of them keep in touch. Um, mm. You know, we stay in touch and we'll continue to report and stuff after the fact. So that's nice. Mm. So is is there anywhere that you've, anywhere else in the UK, anywhere else in the world yeah. that you would love to go and investigate or research and maybe even write about that you haven't got round to yet that you think I've got to do that before, before I can't do this anymore? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, this place is in London, um, you know, the, some of the palaces and stuff like that, yeah. um, some of the old pubs and stuff. Um, it's places in Scotland, a lot of the castles and stuff. Um, spent a bit of time in Scotland investigating places and I've just only touched the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's so much history up there. Um, I'd love to explore that. And then, you know, some of the, the big names as well, like the ancient Ramin and stuff like that. Mm. I'd love to really explore the history of those type of places because you get a lot of paranormal groups go to these places. They don't really research the history. They just kind of go off what they found on Google and stuff like that. Whereas mm. when I research it, I go into the archives and look at the old trade directories and, mm. and stuff. And it'd be nice to go through all them and, and look at some of these myths as well, uh, linked yeah. to the locations, you know, deaths and murders and all this kind of stuff. Mm. I think it's like really interesting that like you've managed to get so much information to, enough to write so many books just about your local area that if you went to any other area, you'd probably get at least exactly the same amount of information about each area that most people, like you said, don't go that deep into the archives to get that much information that you could uncover cases people had forgot about. You could uncover cases people didn't even know were, were linked to each other. So you, you kind of have to be careful thinking, I'm going to go to London and research stuff that you could spend another three decades just writing 30, oh, yeah. 40 more books just from one place there. Yeah, well, I spent uh, recently spent a lot of time in Scarborough for a book mm. on Scarborough that I was researching. Um, spent a lot of time in the archives there. Uh, spent a lot of time in the archives in York researching mm. um, for for a series of projects that I'm working on in York. Um, but I love it. I I just love mm. the research. Um, there's still there's still stuff locally in Hull that I'm still uh, chasing up um, and researching at the moment. Um, I know. Th- this week I've got two research trips planned um, for two different projects that I'm hoping to get finished. Um, so I'm going to go to the archives and get all the research for those places as well. Yeah, again, Chris um, is, uh, has requested you go to Aberystwyth and uh, research the old university. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd certainly be up for that. To be fair, I think we could <clears throat> we could spend all night going, oh, oh, how about this place? Oh, and this place, <laughs> and don't forget this place. We could just throw loads of places at you. Well, you mentioned Whitby, and Whitby is like one of my all-time favourite places in the UK to go visit. I haven't been for a few years, so I definitely need to go and check out. I love the, uh, the old Abbey ruins up there. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, Whitby is weird <clears throat> because the, there's been three or four books written about the ghosts in Whitby. And they all kind of regurgitate the same old stories. Mm. Um, and when I went, I just basically said to them, look, you know, I've, I know these stories. I'm well aware of them, but I want to start from scratch. 
Let, let's throw them out the window and let's come at them from an historical perspective. Mm. And uh, mm. there's a wonderful story about a um, group of... Um, the, there were supposedly be demonic Punch and Judy type characters mm. that were on the um, on the sands where the Demeter supposedly crashed, and they supposedly mm. haunt the sands. And I went to research them, and there was no record of them. There was a story about a demonic donkey in Whitby yes. that supposedly these kids had been throwing stones at it, and they all got on its back, and it ran into the sea. And I researched the, that story, and again never happened there was it was all to do with his schoolmaster um that was the element where they slipped up in this story they'd given the name of the schoolmaster so i researched the schoolmaster and no such schoolmaster existed um, uh, you know so if he didn't exist and his school didn't exist the kids couldn't have gone to his school and he couldn't have taken them to the beach where they yeah. said the donkey but yeah there's a few stories like that where the, the stories don't quite ring true. But then on the flip side of that, there's a lot where the venues that are saying they've got activity have gone to the archives and found deaths, mm. um, suicides and various other bits and bobs there. So that's been really interesting and, and quite mm. an eye-opener. But yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Mm. I, suppose it's, I suppose it's quite easy for, for places to say, oh, we've got, we've got ghosts because this thing happened 300 years ago. Yeah. Google ain't going to give you an answer of what happened 300 years ago. So you'll just put it down to, oh, it happened so long ago. It must have been true, and I just yeah. can't find it. On Google, like you said, most people do a bit of research but can't find it. So <clears throat> I think if anyone has got a, a local haunting or a, a, you know a, an infamous story that you know you can't necessarily find proof, go and have a look through the, the local archives do a, dig a bit more, do what Mike would do, dig as far as you can and see if you can actually prove that these things didn't necessarily happen and that the the place that's claiming to be the most haunted place near you, probably just trying to get people in to do a ghost tour or just trying <laughs> to get tourists in. Yeah. So I think there's probably going to be quite a high percentage of very haunted places that probably aren't that haunted. Yeah, true. Unfortunately. Yeah, I first went when I was about 10 with the school and they made us go on this ghost walk and they uh, mentioned the uh, Hand of Glory. And then yeah. a couple of days later, we ha we saw, we actually see one in the museum. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's the Museum of the Bazaar, is it, or something like that? And Hand yeah, museum. nightmares for a week. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. we go. We've got a new quote. The, the funny thing about that museum is I went in and I was taking photos of everything because there's witches' posts, there's witches' yeah. bottles, uh, there's plesiosaurs, yeah. you name it. And I remember on the way out, above the door, it says, thank you for not taking photographs. <laughs> on the way out, like, it's too late now. <laughs> I think I took 460 pictures. I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think I've actually taken a few photos in there as well. So you're not on your own on that one. Yeah, if anyone if anyone that works there is listening, move your sign closer to the entrance <laughs> instead of or, or there is a sign and you just both went, oh, I didn't say a sign. Clicky click. But yeah, so Luna's just pointed out new quote. Do what Mike would do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do an investigation, do as Mike would do. So yeah. um 
one question that obviously we have to ask. Why should anyone listening or watching come to York and, well, York, Hull, wherever, and do one of your tours, come with you to go and investigate somewhere? Why you have compared to anyone else? Because you get the history. You get the real history. I, I always say to people, when you come on my tours, I will tell you the story. I will tell you the history, but I will let you make up your own mind. Because at the end of the day, I can't prove this. I can't mm. prove first exist or anything like that. But what I can do is is tell them the history behind the hauntings and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I mean a lot, of, a lot, of, and what I do as well, I use digital technology. So when people come on my tours, if you come to Hull and you come to say, um, you know, you want to come and have a look around the city, mm. what I do is I show people the history. So when they're on my tours, if they're standing at a certain spot they can look back at how the city used to look, but they can stand on the spot and see that. Um, Mm. It's almost like having a, a a mobile PowerPoint really. Mm. Um, And people love it, especially kids. Um, And and recently is um, I take a lot of, I take groups out that are children. I take groups out with special needs. I take foreign groups out that don't speak a word of English, but because of the technology, I can show Mm. them the history. And yeah. just standing them on the spot and hearing them, oh, wow, you know, and not realising that that was what was there before. Because mm-hmm. the city is changing so much. Um, but, yeah, definitely, when, when clients come on my tours, they get the stories, they get the history, and I let them make up their own minds. And I think that works better because uh, the human mind is a wonderful thing. Mm. Chris asked, was that St. Michael's Church? Uh, that was Holy Trinity Church in Hull, which is today mm. called Hull Minster. Yeah. I was just thinking when you said that you've had uh, like foreign groups, you reckon like any of them were just queuing up for something and didn't know what it was, and they just kind of <laughs> followed along the whole tour. Like, wow, I have no idea what yeah. the guys going on about. Yeah, uh, <laughs> That'd no, be it, that was all through a, a group I was working with. I was teaching um, a, a big community group of people from all over the world. I think there was about 17 nationalities in that group. And the brief was, we wanted to come and teach local history. So I thought, wonderful. And uh, about like the day before, she was like, oh, did I tell you that none of them speak English? <laughs> um, and I was like, right, okay. So I just made it pictures. Hmm. Um, it's really funny because <laughs> when I was talking, they all, they all had the phones out. I don't even know where my phone is, but they all had the phones out pointing the phones at me. And I thought, are these, what are these guys doing? Are they on Facebook? Or, And they were using their Google Translate to translate my all accent into their language. Um, it was really funny because I realised, <laughs> bloody cats attacking me. I realised quite early on, um, I realised quite early on that they, they got sort of potty humour Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was talking a lot about um, the sewer systems and the toilets and stuff like that. Um, they loved it. Um, they thought it was hilarious that that Hull had that kind of history and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, I love I love whenever like every now and again I have to watch some of these videos back to make sure that the sound quality was right and whatever. And I'm just watching the the just the video back on YouTube and it gives the. Um, the subtitles just pop up, and especially now me and Stu have got because like me when I did the show with Gaz, he was down for he's from down in Kent, so 
the subtitles was always struggling to pick up my accent and then his accent, and you could watch that we could say the same word and it'd come up completely differently. But luckily, now we've both got a black country accent. It'll it'll just stick to struggling with one accent now, so we'll be all right. But and so I'd love to see just how much of the the Google Translate translating into like Japanese from <laughs> from a Yorkshire accent. Just how much of it was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> just just watching YouTube messing up my accent. Yeah. I'd love I have to not see. I've been teaching them. Yeah. <laughs> So some of them have taken some information back as a fact because you taught it and they're like, really? I, I didn't know yeah. that. And it's just <laughs> absolute nonsense. I'd love it. Love to try it one day. Just talk into translate and see if it translates into Japanese and then translate <laughs> it back to English and see what you've actually said yeah. to people. Yeah. I got you, <laughs> um, you obviously love Hull very much, obviously. Uh, you go very fond, a great fondness for the place. Um, so, what what is your favourite fact about Hull, whether it be paranormal or just history? Or, um, one one that's been brought up quite a lot recently um, is that in April 1642, Charles I, who was the King of England at the time, came to Hull, and he wanted to gain access to our munitions to start a war in Scotland. And we basically closed the gates because Hull was a big walled town then, like York. And mm-hmm. the king turned up and we basically told him to piss off. Um, and I think that is just wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. Hull, it, And then basically Charles I, uh, he launched three sieges on Hull. And then he left Hull and started the English Civil War. So in a way, we was kind of the catalyst that pissed him off just mm-hmm. enough to start the English wow. Civil War. So we have that effect on a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Especially a lot of a lot of uh, southerners. <laughs> Gotta love it. There was a question as well. Um, a little bit further back, uh, quite a bit back actually. Um, from B, have you ever feared for your own safety on one of the tours or uh, one of the investigations? Yeah, a few years ago, I was doing a, an investigation at Hull New Theatre, and uh, I was in the Royal Box. And a few things had happened. I'd heard scratching noises. I'd heard footsteps. Um, some furniture moved. Um, and then I felt like someone had blown on my neck. And um, I ended up sort of freaking out a little bit, you know. And I, I remember going down to the uh, the, the gentleman's uh, toilets, and one of the crew was in the the urinal next to me. And he sort of said, bloody hell, what's going on with your neck? And I said, what do you mean? And I pulled my shirt down and there was three big scratches on my neck. And that wow. really freaked me out. I remember I I didn't go back to Hull New Theatre for a year after that because I was yeah. so freaked out by it. Mm. And then in the end, I went back and we had a really good night and it was a, a good investigation and nothing happened, thankfully. Um, but the, the, the guy who used to run the investigations in there, um, he actually said to us, oh, a week before you guys came, we had a, a group of quite young paranormal investigators in, mm-hmm. and they were messing around with Ouija boards and all sorts. And I said, oh, whereabouts was this? And he said, oh, in Royal Box B. Uh, um, you uh, know, nobody bothered to tell me that before I'd mm-hmm. gone and sat in there on my, in the middle of the night in the darkness. Yeah. Well, uh, you said that your, your favourite piece of equipment to take with you was a camera. What's the best 
photographic or video evidence that you've ever you've ever captured? Um, a few years ago, uh, we was at a place called Oriel Chambers in Hull, uh, which is today the Wilberforce Institution of Slavery and Emancipation. And there was two photographs that I took that night that were really compelling. One of them was at on the staircase. Um, there was a motion sensor attached to the camera mm. and we had footsteps running up the stairs and we saw the camera flash and when it came back it looks like there's a face of a person sort of running towards the camera wow. and then the second piece was a similar setup we had the motion sensor down in the hallway um, the camera was set at the top of the stairs facing down in the hallway and on the camera you can see the red light of the motion sensor flicking on and at that point there's just a, an orb of which I, I wouldn't even say it was an orb it's bigger than an orb um it was quite it was like if you had a a bit of wet paint mm. like a dot and you put your finger on it and just smudged it across the screen it was like something wow. was flying through that. and we just can't explain what it was it doesn't look mm. like an insect it's too big to be an insect it was i mean this thing was about 20 foot away from where the camera was positioned mm. um but that's quite compelling i show that off to a lot of people on my tours and stuff like that when they come on my tours and just basically say to them, what do you think it was? Um, rather than saying, you know, I believe this was a ghost or I believe this was yeah. an insect. Or I'd rather get their opinion. You'll have to send those photos or we get them on the Instagram as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the other, the other physical piece of evidence a lot of people get, I like, I like to do that the same way. Don't tell me what it is. Let me figure yeah. it out for myself. And that's EVPs. Yeah. There's nothing worse than listening to an EVP and so, or watching a video with an EVP. And they write on the screen what they think it says. Because yeah. now that's all you'll ever hear. Yeah. I'd rather listen to it and figure out for myself what I think they're saying. If you can hear a voice saying something, I'd rather figure it out for myself. But once someone puts on the screen, it says this. That's all. That's all you're ever going to hear, and it's really fucking irritating. But what my, my biggest pet hate in the paranormal are these um, YouTube videos and Facebook videos where it will say, you know, OMG, demon caught on camera, and you watch it, and it's just a couple of buffoons walking around in a forest. Mm. It's like, where's well, where's the demon? Yeah. You know, if if that kind of crap would have happened on TV shows, they would have been taken off air. Yeah. So it's how, always a demon or a poltergeist, isn't it? It's never just yeah, a, yeah. a ghost yeah. of a little old lady. Because it's <laughs> clickbait. It makes people click on it. Yeah. And it's just pisses me off. But oh, Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, the other thing, again, talking to Richard Felix about it, the main thing that pisses me off about these people that do these videos is they'll walk into a, a haunted house or a forest or you know just an empty, derelict building, and they'll say... If there's any spirits here, prove it. You know, show show yourself, make a noise, do something, and then they hear, and they all shit themselves and run away. You know, yeah. you've just asked yeah. for evidence, saw evidence, and scurried out of the place. You're like, what's the point of that? It's not very investigating, is it? You just yeah. you've got your your scare for I've the video, it, and that's it. If if you go in a building that's supposedly haunted by someone that's been dead for four or five hundred years and they've had no one to talk to and you go in there and ask them a question and they interact and you run off screaming that's not paranormal investigation that's mm. been a dick like yeah. stick around 
you, you might get the answers that you need, you know. Um, so it always makes me laugh. And a few times I've had people come on investigations where stuff's happened and they've ran off screaming and I've pulled them back and said, listen, stop and wait and mm. let's try and make contacts, you know, let, yeah. let's see what Look, you, You're finally getting, you're getting evidence that so many people have been on investigations for hours and hours and got nothing. You're actually getting it. Don't run away from it. Stop and ask some questions. Try to figure something out. Like, please, I've done lots of stuff and got fuck all. Like, while you're getting something, write it down, record it, do something. Because a lot of people don't get anything on most of the investigations. Nothing happens. Oh, yeah. I've spent many nights bored out my head, sat in cold, wet Mm -hmm. environments and not got anything. But I'm fortunate that when I go and do this stuff, I go with good friends and we can Mm -hmm. have a good laugh and for me a lot of it's about that companionship and yeah. being with people that you enjoy being with and spending time with them and and having yeah. fun and yeah yeah i've always said if you're into if you're into things like fishing you're all right with paranormal investigation because <laughs> it's yeah. just hours and hours of sitting down still and silent and fuck all happening yeah it's been yeah. you brought them up a few moments ago where do you where do you sit on demons? Do you believe in demons, or do you believe that they are, or do you think they're just misidentified spirits? I, I don't believe in them. I, I believe if if you're good in life, you'll be good in death, and if you're a sod in life, you'll be a sod in death. And I think a lot of the times when people go to these venues and they get scratched and and pushed and kicked, hmm. they've they've just picked up on someone that was a not yeah. a very nice person in life. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, it, it was once put to me, um, you know, uh, if if a ghost is the spirit of a dead person, mm-hmm. where in life did the demons live? You know, yeah. was there a village with demons living there? What, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or is it that it's just because we come across these bad people in life, mm-hmm. as we do in the afterlife, we just don't have a word for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't believe in demons or anything. In, in all the years I've been doing this, I've never come across anything like that. Mm. Um, I've come across a, a, one property I investigated was linked to a serial killer, and the activity there was not very nice. But I wouldn't mm. say it was a demon. I would have said it was a tow rag. Um, yeah, it makes sense for it to be, if you're deliberately violent in, in life, what's going to make that stop in death? Yeah. You know? We we one of our first ever shows we did was based on demons purely purely because there's so many people doing investigations on YouTube and Facebook and oh we found a demon just because someone like got flicked on the ear or something and you're claiming it's a demon. But we we kind of again we looked into the history of where the word demon came from and like the fact that like the the ancient Greeks had had their version, but they did it as people like pagans and Wiccans and anywhere in the middle, they have things like deities where they kind of see them as not quote gods, but better than people. And you can, you can ask them for favors. You can ask them to help you with things using magic and whatever. That's what demons were to the, to the Greeks. They were just deities. They were these things that you could ask. There were stories of people that asked for rivers to be frozen instantly so they could cross them to ask for help with money and whatever. There was different demons to help with different things. And you could pray to these things and ask for help. 
and then when all of the old all the old Greek writing was transcribed into uh, the Jewish texts and into the Christian texts, there's all these teachings of praying to other beings that aren't the one true God. We can't have people doing that. So that's the work of the devil. These things work for the devil. You can't pray to those things because it's not God. And that's where the stories of these <clears throat> demonic, horrible things that come from hell and work for the devil that are trying to... It's just Christianity saying, don't look, don't believe in other things, just believe in our God. It's literally where it came from. So even if demons are a thing, they're not necessarily evil and work for the devil unless you're a Catholic and you believe that. So yeah. it's like the stories that I can't actually remember hearing a story of someone being possessed by a demon that either wasn't a Roman Catholic or surrounded by Roman Catholics that yeah. told them that they were possessed by a demon. Everyone else just seems to get ghosts. Like, so yeah, I'm not not a fan of the whole the whole demon thing, especially with people just throwing the word around because they want yeah. it gets them more clicks on a video or whatever. Yeah, and as this is very much attached, Mike, how do you how do you feel about using things like spirit boards or Ouija boards? Um, I, I've never used a Ouija board. I've been present when they've been used and stuff like that. Um, I I like technology. So I like exploring technology. But what I like to do is rather than just rely on one piece of technology, I will rely on several pieces running side by side. Yeah. Um, for example, if I'm doing EVPs, I'll use a digital recorder, but I'll use an analog recorder as well. Yeah. Um, and then I'll have a video recorder recording the analog and the digital to show you know, there's no dodginess going on. Yeah. And that way when I listen back, you know, I know that I'm not there or someone's not there or you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I always believe in using stuff alongside. So if you know if I've got the EMF detector out, I'll have a REM pod out. I'll have the cat balls out. I'll have them spaced around the room so they're not affecting each other. Yeah. And if they go off at the same time, wonderful. Or if I can, you know, say, can you go and affect that, and it it, it gets affected, yeah. can you go and affect that, and then that gets affected and it goes around the room. I, th yeah. I find that quite compelling. Yeah, um, it helps verify if like yeah, if you've yeah, only got an EMF detector. And your EMF yeah. detector goes off all night. That's not paranormal proof. I mean, yeah. if it if it if it spikes when you ask it to, that's 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 better. But you could just be moving your arm around and just picking up the same thing every time you ask a question. But yeah. if your EMF detector's gone off and your thermometer's picking up a cold spot and you get an uh, an EVP at the same time you're asking the question. And all of your other things are all beeping and flashing and whatever, all at the same time. That's that's pretty good proof that something happened there, because yeah, the, the the background stuff that may affect an EMF detector and the background stuff that may affect the little flashy balls aren't the same thing. You're not going to pick up a vibration on an EMF detector, and you're not going to pick up high EMF with your little cat balls. So if both of them are affected. That's that's better evidence. Yeah, definitely. I don't know where my I have I had a Ouija board to hand. I don't know where it went now. It was up there. I got one for Father's Day. I think it's up yeah. my house. Oh yeah, it's at your house. I've got another it's one over there, but it, it's a bit bigger. 
But we, um, we've kind of, I think we've touched on this a few times as well, that a lot of people, like the missus, Luna, she would not let me get a Ouija board. I just thought they looked cool. Like I wasn't planning on using it. But we did eventually. I'll tell you that in a sec. But she, she does tarot cards. She was using pendulums. She was basically doing all these forms of divination, but refused to use a Ouija board. It's like, but it's the same thing. Like, you're just scared of Ouija boards because Hollywood shows you that Ouija boards terrible and that that you use them to contact demons and the devil and like. But you don't believe any of that's real anyway. So. Why is it any different? It's just it just if they work, it just gives you different forms of answers. Yeah. So surely for me, the most terrifying thing would be an EVP. If I could hear an actual voice, that's more terrifying than something pushing a bit of wood round and spelling out a word. Like that's yeah. that shouldn't be a thing. So that's the, the most freaky bit of evidence for me is an EVP. Because how, how do you explain that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you see um, Chrissy's uh, comment? What just moved past Mike's face? Yeah, well, there is. There's a fly that's on my computer <laughs> okay. screen, that, and I think it might have gone over the, the camera. And also, the cat has uh, taken it upon himself to come and lay across me while I'm trying to record. Yeah. So it could have been his <laughs> paws. Um, he keeps punching me in the face, um, so it could have been as well. So it's about the Aaron, uh, yeah, Aaron 38 mark. I actually saw it too, so have a look. There's, there's a fly on my computer screen because my computer screen's quite warm. Mm. My computer screen is behind mm. my tablet that I'm mm. recording from, and All I did right. see the fly come down, and it from was my, around yeah. like where the yeah. camera is, so it might have been that. I don't know, okay. it was. We'll have, a, we'll have a look back, see what it is. I'll listen back. Anyone listening, if you've heard any EVPs, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear an EVP going, it, it was the fly. <laughs> yeah, back to um, you say that using technology. Do you think there's um, something that the scientific or the technology community could like come up with that would make your job easier? Yeah, there was actually um, a good friend of mine created a, a an app called Alice, mm. and it's in the latest issue of Haunted magazine. Um, but if you go if you if you look online, um, I wrote an article for the Spooky Isles magazine many 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 years ago. And when he was developing it, I would take this to locations and try it. And um, I remember taking it to a location that was built on the site of what was was called the blockhouse and the blockhouse was a it was part of the fortifications of hull but it was also used for the capture and imprisonment of catholics um, and what they would do they would stick them in the basement and tie them up and then when the river hull rose it would drown them so it kind of absolved them of any uh, guilt um, and these Catholics were killed off by this quite cruel method of uh, torture, really. Mm. And I took this device to this property that was built on the site of this old blockhouse, and it came up with um, Catholic, it came up with monks, it came up with bells, it came up with so many words that was linked to the location. Mm. Um, and that was really interesting. 
um, and have since developed it a lot better. It's a lot more. Um, I think the, the the words on it are much larger now, and the, the mm-hmm. dictionary and all that. Um, but yeah, he's, he's written an article about it in the latest issue of um, Haunted Magazine. Um, mm-hmm. It's in there, um, <clears throat> and he basically talks about the development, you know, of this mm-hmm. this device, and and nowadays it is getting used by a much larger audience. There's a lot of people yeah. using it on yeah. YouTube and stuff like that. It's mm. getting picked up quite a lot. Mm. But that, there's a lot of, me, a lot of other apps. apps. There's a lot of the, uh, a lot of other apps that claim to do the same sort of thing. And I've got a lot of issues with these apps because I downloaded one because that's what I do. I have to make sure I have to test these things out, see whether they work. And I was getting some interesting words and every now and again you just get like yellow and be like that could mean anything. But then I saw that the app was free, but you had to pay to buy the bigger dictionary of more words. I was like, okay, two issues. One, who sat down with the ghosts and decided what word meant what? And two, what if they want to actually say one of the other words, but I haven't paid for it yet? No, it, it just... I, no, I didn't like them. But obviously... That's just someone's seen an idea and thought, I'm going to do that. But by spending the least amount of time, money and effort on it as possible, I'm just going to make it generally just throw out some words that sound spooky. Yeah. And it, that's all it is. That's See, almost that, my knowledge. That issue with, with apps is when you download them, a lot of them ask for permissions. Mm. So if you give them permissions for your... Um, to read your text messages or your messenger. If you're mm. planning on doing an investigation and you're all inboxing each other about the location and stuff like that, yeah. it's then got permission for that sort of thing. Um, so what, what he did with Alice is he created it and put it on tablets that weren't connected mm. to messenger and all this sort of stuff. Mm. So I found that quite compelling. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these other apps that, you know, you're, they do have access to your messenger and your, mm. your, your cookies and your cash and all that kind of crap. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, quite compelling when it doesn't have access mm. to that sort of thing. Yeah. That's definitely a lot more interesting. So they're all uh, talking about, apparently there's an echo, they're even crackling on the light. It's probably just my terrible internet, guys. That's all it is. <laughs> it's nothing paranormal. It's terrible technology. <sighs> Sorry, don't, don't mind me. I've got a bad back. Too old for this. So, uh, yeah, you, you also mentioned um, that when you were writing books that some of them went to, as far as, like, being filmed or having talks with films. Uh, did any of them go the full hug and get turned into, like, movies or, or something? Not production? yet. Uh, not yet. They're all in development hell, I think mm. you'd call it. Okay. Um, there was a lot of activity. There was IMDB pages set up for me and all sorts of nonsense. And I was listed as producer and writer and all this kind of crap. And nothing happened. Um, yeah. There was a lot of issues with um, who had the rights to what and where they were going to film it. And mm. they even an, at one point for one of the projects, they announced a cast list and all sorts. Um, okay. You know, it, it just never went anywhere. There was a lot of mm-hmm. people writing scripts and stuff. Um, and it just got stuck in development hell, hell. Um, yeah. and it got to the point where I kind of got fed up with it and just thought, you know what, I want to crack on and just keep writing and, yeah. and mm. doing what I do. Yeah. Um, but they did use uh, a lot of my research was used for 
um, productions like Most Haunted, um, when we film Most Haunted and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the research gets used for a lot of the TV shows I do. Um, and then I also, uh, you know, when we do a lot of the paranormal TV shows, I'll proofread the scripts to make sure that the history is 100%. Mm. Um, because I've seen a lot of paranormal TV shows where they just make up the history. And yeah. it, when you go and fact check it, it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Mm. Um, so what I say to the production team is, look, if we're going to make this, we need to have every historical fact has to have at least two historical sources that back mm. up that fact. Um, that way the, the history cannot be argued with. Mm. Uh, you know, and that way if we do get anything that fits in with the history, you know, 100%, no one can really argue with that. Um, but yeah, it's things like um, for Most Haunted Live and for Paranormal Lockdown, uh, we did that at the at 30 East Drive. Mm. And pretty much everyone was saying, you know, we need to talk about the Black Monk. Um, and I, I went to the archives and spent months and months researching that property and that land, and there was no connection whatsoever to a black monk. Uh, there were stories about him being thrown in a river and down a well, um, and you can go through the old maps and you can see on that property there was never a well, there was mm. never a river. Um, and the public execution site in Pontefract was in Pontefract. It went out on mm. the housing estate. Um, you know, And people were so hell-bent on this story of the, white, the black monk being authentic, mm. they just forgot to check the facts. And the facts yeah. showed that the Black Monk didn't exist. But what mm. the facts did show was across the road was one of the most bloodiest sites of the English Civil War, which was known as the Battle of Checkerfield. Mm. So I think a lot of reasons why there's paranormal activity in that area is because of all the bloodshed you know, yeah. from the, the 1600s that took place on that site. And there's even a memorial more or less opposite the house mm. um, for that battle. But people have ignored that over the years and just gone down the route of, you know, oh, well... They said yeah. the Black Monk exists, but it must exist. Hmm. Which, to be fair, if you've got one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War, there's probably going to be a hell of a lot more activity than one monk that fell in a well or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you do your research, you've got a hell of a lot more you can sell over the road. Yeah. If you just actually look into it, yeah. you could have like 400 ghosts instead of just your one, <laughs> your one monk. But while we've got a little bit of time left... I just want to kind of touch on, I keep, keep sort of mentioning this, oh, I've got a new project that we're working on. It's a very, very, very early stages, very slow progress because obviously all the people working on it have also got other jobs and other things that we're doing with our time. But we, we're always talking about trying to find the science behind the paranormal and maybe coming to getting to the bottom of everything. And... When you look at things like UFO sightings, there's there's always like like me small researchers that people come to, and you know you write up a case report and you put it online in case you ever find any more um, either witnesses to that sighting or people that saw something similar around the same time. But then you've got things in like uh, over in America, you've got MUFON. Over here, we've got Bufora that they collect all of this data and can eventually start going. This seems to be the most common UFO shape or the most common time of the year to see one, or, you know, you, you're going to get enough data to actually get answers. Whereas so many paranormal investigators out there collecting data, but not doing anything with it. Like your EMF detector goes off. What was the highest peak that you got 
what was the temperature when you got the peak, like actually going at this thing scientifically to either prove what it actually is or at least prove what, what technology might not work just to save everyone using these things, waving this piece of technology around and it's not working. Or with your EMF detectors, we could say maybe this frequency is the frequency you're looking for. All the rest is background or electrical. This is the number that you want. But no one's collecting enough data. So we're starting what will be known as the British Paranormal Network. And we'll be reaching out to every paranormal investigator, legitimate paranormal investigator, not these idiots on YouTube, because I don't want their crap data that won't be legitimate data, because it'll just mess up everything else we've done. And basically saying, while you're out on your investigations, here's a list of what we want. Could you fill in this form for us? Give us your data. We will collect it all, make it publicly available for everybody to the until the point that we've got enough data to say, this is what we think is happening, or this is what we think, what, what, what technology works. We'd have to have, obviously, a separate uh, form for investigators, separate questions for people that have just got things going on in their own house. That's kind of why it's taken a while to get going. We've got to figure out what data we want, how to get it, what we what, how it's going to work for people investigating. Because obviously, while you're out trying to talk to spirits, you don't want to have to stop with a clipboard and a pen in the dark and try to write down numbers, or you know, we don't want to be impeding on someone's investigation. So it's just sort of trying to find the best way of doing that and then trying to find the best investigators to reach out to. So when we actually have some form of model to move forward with, we may get in touch and be like, please help. Because it's, <laughs> it's going to be a very big thing and there's like four or five people working on it so far. So I'm like, literally any help we get from people that are out there doing these things all the time to get the amount of data we'd be looking at on our own, we'd be looking the next 80 years to get just enough. So if we can get as many investigators involved as possible, that will really help collect the data up, which will then help the investigators themselves because you'll know what, what not to look for because the, the data suggests that's background or that's radio waves or that's whatever. But this is paranormal. This is what we should be looking for. So I, I think it's a good idea. I hope it's a good idea. Yeah, I hope it's not wasted in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luna's saying you need to be careful putting this idea. Someone could steal your idea. Good luck. Jesus, if you do it before me, you save me fucking time. <laughs> it's going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> Right. I don't think uh, anyone got, else would want the work. I've got one last uh, question. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and this is a question I think I'm going to be asking every one of our guests. Um, if you could have one mystery solved, whether it be a true crime, a historical uh, mystery or whatever, what um, what mystery would you have completely solved? I thought, I thought you were going to say then, one question I'm going to ask every guest, why the bloody hell did you come on here and talk to us for two hours? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it would have to be without a doubt Jack the Ripper 
Um, that is a case that has taken over my life. Um, I've written numerous books on Jack the Repair. I've written numerous magazine articles. I've featured on loads of TV shows, radio shows. Um, lectured on the case. I've taught the case. I've done walking tours on the case. Um, it's a case that's just dominated my life. So much so that, I mean, I've got a collection of Jack the Ripper coins that would just be at the computer screen. I've got Jack the Ripper books behind me that I've written. The other room is full of Jack the Ripper books that from floor to ceiling, mm. uh, three mad. deep, and there's about 3,000 books there. Um, <laughs> it's a case that's just taken over my life. Um, yeah. And I'd, yeah. I'd love to see it solved. If anything, mm. to give those victims... Mm some sort of remembrance, you know, so and some sort of closure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be definitely the case that the mm. mystery that I'd like to be solved. And and that, one... that, that case has got everything, hasn't it? It's got true crime, it's got history and mystery and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And the oh, fact yeah. that it's not solved. Yeah, yeah. Never I don't think it ever will be, unfortunately, but you never know. Never know. Okay. Chris has said, who do you think was Jack the Ripper? If, if I knew that, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. There's been 300 suspects so far. Mm. So, so, big suspect pool. Um, I've written about 12 of them, really going into the genealogy side and, mm. and who they were and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's been any real decent, valuable suspects. Every year, the media comes up with one. Every year, it gets booked. Um, mm. Every year, people read that story and believe it. And then come to lectures and argue with Toss and say that they believe it was Jack the Ripper and and so on. Then next year we have a new one come forward and yeah, I don't think there's any any decent ones been for a while. Was 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 one of the uh, twelve you narrowed it down to um, the mortician? Uh, Tom, no, I mean Thomas Mann was a uh, the mortician that some uh, a guy called MJ Troward put him forward some years ago. Um, and he, Trow was really funny because he basically said to us, I put him forward just to piss people off, basically. Oh, really? Um, I, I put him forward just to show how easy it is to put people mm. forward. Oh, well, um, that one. He, he, he was kind of linked to one of the victims, and he basically said, look, if I can link him to the rest, fantastic. Mm. And he never could, but he sort of said, well, he lived in the right area. He was in that area at the time, so, mm. you know, what's to say he wasn't? Um you know, one of the biggest ones was there was a Polish Jew called Kosminski, and they tried to fit him up using DNA and stuff like that. But when you when you look at the backstory of how this item got to be covered in DNA, it falls apart. You know mm. the the provenance of it. But then also the DNA testing as well was flawed. Mm. Um, it wasn't peer reviewed, which technically is a scientific process it should be. Mm. Um, and after it came out, people were coming forward and saying, "Well, actually, they haven't narrowed it down to one person." but they've narrowed it down to the Polish Jewish population of London, which at that time was about 100,000. So, yeah. and then... So that's not really narrowing it down at all, is it? <laughs> not really, no. So, but people will read it in the media and believe it. Um, mm. You know, and it's the same with a lot of the suspects. It would, it would um, obviously go into the um, the writing on the wall, though. Uh, the, the quote, which I'm sure you'll remember better than me, the Jews will be men not blamed for... Nothing. Yeah, the, like the Golden Street graffiti. Again, that's, that's another interesting one because there's it. Ripperology is split fifty-fifty on that. Some mm. people believe that Jack the Ripper left that message, 
but some mm. people believe that the message was there when the bloody apron was deposited. Um, mm. And then the fact that the, 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 the police turned up and said, wash it away. I mean, that's highly suspicious because then people started coming up with conspiracy theories about police mm. involvement and the Freemasons and then the Royals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah it was like a snowball that just kept getting bigger and bigger. That's a great yeah. answer. One more question. Do you think there was copycat Jack the Rippers or whether they meant at the time sure. like people were joining in or like later in, on? In September, uh, in up near Gateshead, a girl was murdered. Um, called Jane Beadmore. She was also known as Jane Savage. She was uh, killed in a similar fashion, so much so that the one of the top police surgeons on the Jack the Ripper case was sent to Gateshead to investigate, mm. along with one of the top detectives, and they investigated and said that it was a copycat. Mm. Um, and that was just there. There was others as well. There was one in Bradford. Mm. Um, there was a case in uh, Preston down the road from us. Mm. Um, where girls were getting the throats cut and stuff like that, it, it was becoming quite common occurrence. Even yeah. HH Holmes. Yeah, if if you were gonna if you were gonna decide to kill a load of people, while there's already a murderer on the loose killing a load of people, that's the best time to do it because you're like, oh, it was Jack the Ripper did it, like, you mm. just get away with it. So that the, there could always have been a few people that weren't actually killed by Jack the Ripper that just they just put it down to him because he's killed enough people let's just say it was him yeah mm. what are you going to say then Stu uh, yeah H.A. Holmes is one of them that um, claimed that he kind of uh, was inspired by, mm. by Jack the Ripper so yeah you know there's, there's always going to be copycats when it comes to true crime yeah. mm-hmm. although to be fair the, the one of the main reasons to be a copycat if you're gonna if you're gonna gonna copycat anyone, is Jack the Ripper because I don't know who the fuck he is. Yeah, you got away with it. Yeah, like if you're gonna copy anyone, copy the guy that got away with it. Yeah, just copy yeah. that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so where can anyone that obviously most of our listeners might not be in the whole area, but if they're ever traveling to the whole area, where can our listeners or viewers find your tours? I know you said something about your books aren't available at the moment, something to do with publishers, but uh, where could they find your books if and when they're available? Give yourself a big fat plug. Uh, yeah, amazing old tours. Uh, if you look for us on Facebook, um, we run all sorts from tours to lectures, um, teaching, all sorts of stuff. Um, so you can find us on there. The books are usually on Amazon. Uh, hopefully they will be available again at some point. Um, like I said, there was some issues. Um, we're getting them published on Amazon. There was it was a nightmare. Um, so hopefully they'll be uh, back out again soon. But there are another batch of books that I finished writing that are awaiting publication that I haven't published yet. Um, but every now and again, copies do turn up on Amazon and eBay. Um, so a lot of people have been uh, collecting them uh, via places like that. Mm. Um, so they are still doing the rounds. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can. Once they're all available, I'll work my way through. Just stop writing for a few years while I collect them all. So you're not just like every time I buy ten, you write fifteen more. Like, for fuck's yeah. sake. I'll just slowly work my way through and get them all. 
So uh, if anyone's got any copies, let me know, because I can't <laughs> buy them at the moment. <laughs> well, I think I think that was all the questions. You got any more questions, Stu? I think I've got no, all. No, no. Uh, excellent. I've right gone over you. two hours again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we could uh, we could sit and talk for hours, and I'm sure if and when... We uh we get time. We'll have to come up. Me and Stu will come up to Hull, and we'll uh we'll yeah, get you to show us round. Come yeah, scar watching. Yeah, definitely. Right. We'll see if we can find some way to do a, a paranormal investigation into a sky watch, and just yeah, yeah. see what we can or, see during a, a few hours. Sea monster hunt, or a mm. big cat hunt, or whatever. Okay. <laughs> Stu, you bring the string. I'll bring the stake. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and on that note guys we'll uh we'll see you all next week thanks for thank coming you. on mike thank you very much